HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. With more than 30 weekly podcasts, HRN has something for every food lover. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Cheese State University. Cheese State University was created for dedicated cheese professionals seeking to deepen their knowledge, sharpen their skills, and build connections. Join them in the Ivy League of Cheese Education at CheeseStateUniversity.com. Hello, hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners tuning in from 165 countries around the world, about a million listens a month. And today, I know everyone is waiting for this episode of Tech Bites, the weekly show where we look at the intersection of food and technology And today we are looking at mushrooms. We looked at mushrooms last week also. Episode 286 was about mushrooms. This episode is about mushrooms. It seems that everywhere I look, social media, news, the grocery store, there are mushrooms. There are mushrooms being turned into things like plant-based burgers and alternative meat things. There are mushrooms in the beverage case, in chocolates, in gummies, all kinds of places. And it seemed like it would be a good idea to see what is going on with the mushroom trend in functional foods. And so today we have um, two co-founders. They co-founded two different companies. We have Charlotte Cruz from Alice Mushrooms. Charlotte, thank you for joining us. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. And we have Ben Levine from Rasa. Thank you for joining us as well. Hey, Jennifer. Thanks for having me. So these two products are in the, what I would call, adaptogen functional mushroom category. And if you've ever stood in front of the refrigerator case at your grocery store, you've probably seen a lot of drinks that have different types of mushrooms in them that are talking about energy and focus. Um, If you've stood in the sort of health food vitamin supplement section, you've probably seen mushroom teas and coffees. Um, There's a lot of mushroom gummies and chocolates talking about um, being awake, being focused, being calm, going to sleep, all kinds of things. Um, The word adaptogen is around there quite a bit, and the word functional is around there quite a bit. So, I mean, I think the first thing to do before we look at what Alice Mushrooms chocolates are and what rasa i'm going to call them coffee alternative like drinks are um let's talk with charlotte and ben about what are adaptogens exactly and ben you are the not only the co-founder but you're the head herbalist at rasa and you come from a sort of plant biology background yeah yes uh yep i'm a i'm a clinical herbalist and I have a master's of science in herbalism. So mushrooms, I think of mushrooms as being in the produce aisle um, or maybe dried. I think of them as being something I cook with, I put into salads. On the very end of that spectrum, I think of something like a truffle mushroom, which is very exotic and very expensive and sort of a phenomenon of nature. Where do the, how, how big is the mushroom category? Is the mushroom category like, you know, apples or, you know, where there's a bunch of different types of apples. Is the mushroom category bigger, like plants, or is it, you know, like algae or seaweed? What, what are we talking about when we first think about 
how many mushroom varieties there are and then hone in on what the adaptogen and functional pieces are. Yeah, I well, to, to back up, mushrooms are the third kingdom, so they're not plants and they're not animals. They occupy this middle ground, uh, and they are as diverse as plants, uh, for sure. You have, on one end of the spectrum, as you are saying, your culinary mushrooms, button mushrooms that you'd find at any grocery store. At the other end, you have these incredibly toxic, poisonous to humans uh, mushrooms that will kill us if we have just a little bit. Uh, and then somewhere in the middle, we have magic mushrooms. We have these inedible but very medicinal mushrooms. We also have edible medicinal mushrooms like lion's mane. You can chop up lion's mane and cook it in a stir fry. Uh, and so, yeah, it's just a, a huge, huge broad spectrum. So we are, to be clear for this show today, we are not talking about magic mushrooms, which are the mushrooms that have psilocybin in them that are mostly illegal in the United States and in many countries around the world, although that seems to be like it might be changing because I've been reading quite a bit about research and uses for medical, mental health kind of things. Um, so maybe that's something that we're going to see that becomes legalized and more broadly um, understood and used, similar to like a CBD type of situation, which we're seeing now. So specifically in the functional mushroom category, what are we talking about in terms of what you mean by medicinal, how many of them there are? Uh, there are, yeah, there are dozens of medicinal mushrooms, uh, even more and more and more are getting discovered every day. Uh, and they range from shiitake, which you would find in many grocery stores. Uh, it's um, very medicinal, also very foody. Uh, and then all the way to something like turkey tail, which you'll see on a lot of your walks in the woods. Uh, it's that colorful, multicolored, hard shelf mushroom on a lot of dead logs and trees. Uh, and there's no way you could just break that off and eat it or cook it. It's very hard, uh, but extracted the right way. It's also very medicinal. And uh, there's some compounds that tie all these mushrooms together. Uh, one class of compounds are beta-glucans. These are complex polysaccharides that help modulate our immune system, and they're found kind of across the whole spectrum in shiitake, in turkey tail, and everywhere in between. So how did, the, um, how did people discover that mushrooms were medicinal and had all these effects, especially if there are so many and especially if some of them you can't just sort of pick up and eat and say, wow, that made me feel a certain kind of way. <laughs> I, it's, always, it's always fascinating to me, like the first point of discovery of consumables. You know, it's like, who is the person who decided, you know, that they were walking on the beach and they saw an oyster and they were going to open it and eat it? You know, it's just, how did you even know that you could open it and that there was something inside it? There's all these things when I just sort of think about the first human being to sort of pick something up and then ingest it in a certain way. It's kind of mind boggling, I think a little bit, and also maybe brave or perhaps stupid or, you know, hard to say, but how, how did people discover if like the turkey tail, like you said, it's so difficult to, and hard that you couldn't pick it up and just sort of eat it like you could a regular mushroom. Not regular, that's not the right word, like a, you know, a foodie mushroom that we're used to seeing in the grocery store. I, I think that is a hotly debated and frankly unknown. Like there are so many plants that we use in very particular ways. Uh, and it's likely a combination of trial and error, uh, plant communication, folks being much more in tune with their environment than we are now. Uh, and under, being able to understand, you know, how these mushrooms might work. Uh, but it, we're, we don't really know. We don't really know. And some cultures are, I think Gordon Wasson said this, uh, I'm sure he wasn't the first, but some cultures are mycophobic, some are mycophilic, some love mushrooms and some are kind of afraid of them. Uh, and so the ones that love mushrooms probably had systems to help them determine, is this one poisonous? Is this one medicinal? Uh, but I'm not sure. Interesting. Um, Shaw, do you have any thoughts about how adaptogens came to be so 
like used and prominent. I mean, I do feel like it's a, it's a every, you know, especially now that I'm thinking about adaptogens, my Instagram feed is just filled with every single type of mushroom product you can imagine right now. It's really kind of fascinating. But what do you think the appeal is now to adaptogens, especially since they're sort of mysterious a little bit to Ben's point, nobody really knows why we are using them the way we do, but we do. Yeah. Well, it sounds like the algorithm has <laughs> picked up on you. Exactly. It's, um, my phone is listening to me. It's listening to yeah, me right exactly. now, I'm sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Say Alice enough in front mm-hmm. of it and you'll start yeah. getting all mm-hmm. of our ads. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think adaptogens are becoming more and more prominent, right? Because people are really looking for ways to feel good. And anything that can help them do that is really this amazing discovery. And I think I mean, the interesting things about adaptogens, I think to rewind this a little bit too, is that they really are geared for, and their magic is in their long-term benefits, right? Like, and I think that's kind of in the name adaptogens, right? It's something that helps you adapt to your environment a little better. And that takes time. So particularly when we talk about functional mushrooms in the adaptogen category, that means that you have to take a medicinal dose of functional mushrooms for two to three weeks every day to start getting those benefits. And I think people are starting to warm up to maybe these longer term um, strategies for feeling good because they've realized how important it really is to feel good. And they're much more willing than ever to invest in that. Um, I think coming out of the past couple of years where not everyone was feeling good all of the time due to when we were really, really in the thick of the pandemic, people have just been really faced with themselves in terms of how do I feel, what makes me feel good, and are realizing that, you know, life isn't promised, you really want to make the most of it, and feel good as much as you can, for as long as you can. Um, So these, these substances and these medicines that can help you kind of revolutionize how you feel, whether it's with sleep, whether it's with focus, whether it's with immunity. Um, It's really, I think, touching a need that people are really realizing more than ever that they have. Interesting. I I wonder if people are realizing that need. That's an interesting way to put it. I mean, certainly people have been under stress and you know, challenged and unhappy and struggling and adapting and all those types of things. Maybe, maybe culturally, it's it's also more of a time when we are um, encouraged, I think, in so many ways by social media and trends to uh, be proactive about, you know, changing our point of view or taking care of ourselves or, I mean, the whole, you know, self-care idea um, has gone beyond just sort of making sure you have your sort of fundamental essential, you know, sleep, food, water taken care of down, you know, expanded into, um, you know, massage or skincare or meditation or, you know, sort of holistic care. It's kind of a um, expanded idea and perhaps more of a uh, license to or suggested, you know, idea to take a look at these things and you know, in some respects, they've also become status symbols a little bit, I think, um, at the higher end of, you know, experiencing and practicing, you know, self-care. Definitely. I think on a daily, though, if I look about and think about what the last couple of years have meant, it's almost like a reckoning. I kind of think of people pre and post this moment where they were able to sit with themselves for a little bit as like, you were just going, 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 and not really taking stock of how you felt or what that meant. Um, And once you had the time to sit with it, there was this reckoning that's like, oh, things don't have to be this way. I can take a little bit more control back into my own hands and change my circumstances or change how I react to them or, you know, how I'm feeling and what my schedule is like. Mm. So Ben, you talked about um, like food mushrooms and then medicinal mushrooms and then medicinal mushrooms that are helpful and medicinal mushrooms that will kill you. Um, what do you qualify? What What is in the definition of medicinal? Uh, that's a good question. And I, I think there's a lot of the food mushrooms are medicinal. Uh, I would say it has chemistry that influences our body in particularly beneficial ways. Uh, A lot of times with plants, we talk about secondary metabolites. It's not the carbs, it's not the protein. 
it's all the compounds that these plants are making to protect themselves, to help their health that we can then co-opt. Uh, I think it's similar with mushrooms. You look for the beta-glucans, uh, you look for other compounds that influence our physiology in a way that food does not. That's a good, that's a good way of explaining it. There are a couple, um, and it's interesting also that the food mushrooms also have medicinal purposes. Is it the ease of consumption that makes them a food mushroom? Is it the flavor? Is it just cultural? Like we eat white button mushrooms in Europe and we think of shiitake mushrooms in other parts of the world. And is it just the sort of, if you compare a white button mushroom to a turkey tail mushroom, just ease of use and ability to be able to eat it and have it not kill you? I think the, the problem might be the false dichotomy between food and medicine that we have in our culture. I, I like a lot of the medicinal mushrooms come from China and medicine is woven into the culinary traditions in a lot of traditional cultures around the world. And so you'll see cordyceps, which is a, a very medicinal mushroom. It might be stuffed in duck as a particularly potent meal. Um, you might see other medicinal mushrooms tossed into a winter soup and simmered for hours. Uh, and so they're combining them in a way that uh, is, is a little different than, you know, we have food and we have our supplements. Uh, and I like that. I like that weaving of food and medicine. Um, but I think you all, you are right. The more foody ones are much easier to eat. They don't need uh, extensive preparation like Rishi, which is very hard. You could, you know, have to you have to smash it with a hammer, um, and you're not gonna you're not gonna weave that into food very easily. Mm. There are some foods though that we go to great distance to sort of acquire the food. I think like I'm think when you said smash with a hammer, I'm thinking of like coconut. I go back to the oyster. <laughs> there are some things yep. that are not so readily obvious that they are consumable for food. That's an interesting. Um, I mean, I suppose it goes back to what you were saying earlier about, um, you know, the question of discovery and just being closer to your environment and having your environment impact your um, life, I guess, maybe more naturally or symbiotically versus, you know, extremely intentionally like we have in, in modern, especially urban living. You know, we're very intentional about this is the type of structure we're building. This is the condition. This is the temperature. This is what I'm sleeping on. This is what I'm eating. I'm choosing all these things very particularly and they don't really have anything to do with what naturally grows outside in my environment that maybe I might need because of something else in my environment. Yep, exactly. There seems to be a few different mushrooms that I see named over and over again in all these different products and um, I'm going to go over sort of what they are but then perhaps both of you can speak to why that is. Alish mushrooms are actually chocolates. They're little tablets of chocolates that come in tins. They have two types. One is called brainstorm and it's focus and energy. And the other one is called nightcap and it is calming and sleepy. Although it's not like a, it doesn't, it doesn't make you sleepy like a nighttime cough medicine or something like that. It just sort of, it's more like a relaxing kind of feeling. Um, Charlotte, what mushrooms are you using in Brainstorm? Yeah, so Brainstorm, we're using, uh, like Ben just mentioned, we're using cordyceps, and then we're also using lion's mane. Um, and they're both two really special mushrooms. Lion's mane is known historically as the mushroom of the mind, um, and it's because it is really, really incredible for brain health. One of my favorite facts about how lion's mane works is that it can break the blood-brain barrier to directly stimulate nerve growth factor in the brain. And the blood-brain barrier is this really interesting mechanism um, and system of defense we have for our brains, right? It's like our brain's Fort Knox. Um, and it's really good at protecting our brains because our brains very much need to be protected. But the thing about it is it's so good at protection that sometimes it doesn't even let the good stuff in either. Um, and that's why a lot of brain supplements 
you know, end up not being able to work because they can't cross the blood brain barrier. But lion's mane, the compounds in it are so molecularly light that it's able to sneak past that security to directly get into your brain and nourish your brain cells. Um, And a new study just came out actually from the Queensland Brain Institute about how like they're People are just discovering more and more exactly what makes lion's mane so powerful. Um, and this new study showed that it actually encourages your and stimulates your growth cones in your brain, which is how your brain cells tell where they are relative to one another and in space. So it's all of these connections, um, you know, working through new neural pathways, helping you with learning, memory, cognition. A lot of studies have been shown in how it relates into prevention and natural treatment of Alzheimer's. Um, there's a lot of really amazing things you can do with lion's mane. And then cordyceps, on the other hand, is not just the mushroom in The Last of Us, but it is uh, known as the mushroom of the body. And that's because it is amazing for energy. Um, and it does that by increasing your body's ability Um, to use oxygen by increasing your blood oxygen levels. So your entire body is basically just able to use energy more efficiently. Uh, My favorite story about cordyceps is that there was a whole uh, ruckus at the 1993 Olympics because one of the teams was thought to have been doping because they were performing so well. And it was actually because they've been using cordyceps in the run-up. Do we know how they were using it or anything about that? Do do we know which team it was? I... uh, that's a good story. Say, it is a very good story. Um, it was it was Chinese. It was the Chinese. Well, that makes perfect sense. 1993 Beijing Olympics. Okay. Cordyceps. Yeah. They're probably just having it like in tea and lunch. Can you just yeah, eat exactly. it? Can you just eat cordyceps? I wouldn't recommend it. Um, the thing, and I think kind of what you and Ben were talking about earlier is, right, there's a lot of foods that we'll work for, like smashing crabs or lobsters or oysters. Um, but you kind of even wouldn't even want to do that for foods like cordyceps or reishi and some of these functional mushrooms, because they honestly just don't taste very good. Um, which is kind of, I think part of the magic behind what Ben and I do for a living is try and make these mushrooms taste good for people (laughs) so that they want to have them. Um, because you know, there's, they're not that easy to eat and they also don't taste that good. And then what are the mushrooms that you're using in nightcap? Yeah, in nightcap, we use reishi, uh, which is known as kind of the mother mushroom. There's a lot that reishi can do. It's really amazing for immunity and immune system function. It's incredible for your liver. Um, But what we really love it for is its ability to downregulate your nervous system um, and improve and promote healthy sleep cycles. Okay. I see, I feel like I see Rishi everywhere, not everywhere, but quite frequently. Um, it has a lot of benefits to it. So Ben, you at Rasa, Rasa is, you know, uh, tea, I'm going to call them teas and hot beverages, um, maybe coffee substitutes because of the energy of people are looking to not drink coffee, but still have energy without caffeine. Um, so you are incorporating a lot of different types of things in your in your blends, and they are almost like teas in that it's chopped up little pieces of dried things that you then brew and steep in hot water. So either like a French press or a mocha pot or you know something like that, the same way you would brew coffee um, or a tea like that. What is your do do you have and I've 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 tried all of these um, and they're actually kind of, they're all fun and quite good. And um, the question that I have is how do I know it's working? But we'll talk about that later. Oh, yes. <laughs> we'll talk about that later. Cause that's the big one. Um, but Ben, what are the, what are the, you have so many different types of um, ingredients and different types of mushrooms. What, are, what is the top line of the ones that you think are the most interesting or the most compelling, or you, you even have a, a mushroom blend, which is just to, kind of put into things as its own like powdered supplement to go into. Um, I actually put some into um, some oatmeal the other day as an example, um, just to try it like that. That has the turkey tail and the reishi and the short cordyceps and the lion's mane. Yeah, um, we, well, maybe a clarifying point first. Um, we're a coffee alternative based around adaptogens and mushrooms. Um, okay. so we have a, a base of roasted roots that 
kind of scratch that rich and roasty coffee craving. Um, and then we add adaptogens and mushrooms. And I know we're talking a lot about mushrooms as adaptogens, and these two categories get conflated a lot, uh, and they shouldn't. Uh, it's a disservice to both adaptogens and mushrooms. Adaptogens are much more uh, focused on stress. They have these plants and mushrooms have a lot of uh, chemicals that look a lot like cortisol. Uh, triterpenoid saponins is the class of compounds. Uh, and they help modulate our stress response. And there are a few mushrooms that are adaptogens. Cordyceps and reishi are the two that most people know. Poria is a lesser known third. Uh, and then there's medicinal mushrooms, which are much more focused in general on our immune system. Uh, and so when, when folks combine the two and call every mushroom an adaptogen, you kind of lose the meaning of the words in, in marketing hype, uh, which is never good for the industry because then people don't really understand what they're supposed to be getting out of these, these herbs. Um, and so we use both. We use a lot of adaptogen, adaptogenic plants. We also use cordyceps and reishi a lot because they're adaptogenic mushrooms. Uh, and then we also use these immunomodulating mushrooms like turkey tail um, and the more nootropic ones like lion's mane uh, and tremella, which is a, a wild mushroom that can hold 500 times its weight in water. It's really like a deep, deeply hydrating mushroom. Uh, and we use them in different blends depending on what the purpose of that blend is. Um, you know, Charlotte so beautifully explained uh, cordyceps, lion's mane, and reishi. Um, Charlotte, you have reishi in your in your nighttime chocolate. We use a, a very high dose of reishi in our nighttime calm blend. Uh, cordyceps and lion's mane are in our more brainy, nootropic, energy-focused blend called Rasa Bold. Uh, and then, yes, we do have that uh, magnificent mushrooms, that blend of extracts that you add to your coffee, add to your smoothies or your oatmeal. Um, I sometimes add it to bone broth. Actually, I always love to bring in the plants to these types of discussions. So I'm sipping on bone broth with a high amount of cordyceps in it right now. So can you, can we go back real quickly and say there are plants that are not mushrooms that are adaptogens? Is that correct? Yes. Yes. Okay. And people, and there are mushrooms that are adaptogens, but well, not all only a few and not all adaptogens are mushrooms. Most adaptogens are plants. Most mushrooms are not adaptogens, but there's a couple mushrooms that are adaptogens. And this is just this adaptogens is a, it's a scientific term that has a, a definition. Uh, it's not an herbal term. It's not a traditional term. Um, and, and one of the, one of the, the kind of the fourth part of the definition is it has to work through our stress response systems, the HPA axis or the sympathoadrenal system. Uh, and so you look at like, okay, reishi has those triterpenes in the shell, that red shiny shell. That's the adaptogenic part of reishi. Um, you know, the, they have, reishi also has the beta-glucans. It's awesome for a lot of things for the immune system. Um, but but th that particular chemistry makes reishi an adaptogen where lion's mane, for instance, does not, uh, chaga does not uh, impact our body in that way. What is an example of a plant that is an adaptogen? Uh, rhodiola, ashwagandha. Uh, ashwagandha is in, in a lot of products right now as well. I've been seeing that everywhere. Um, Eleuthero, uh, Shatavari. Uh, yeah, there's there's quite a few. Uh, Tulsi is a, is a great one. Okay. All right. So that so marketing marketing is the um, is the thing that's going to make you try it, and it's also going to be the thing that's going to make you misunderstand what it is you're trying. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think we see that in the mushroom industry. There's this explosion in popularity and a lot of really low-quality products out there. Uh, but there's also like a, a huge explosion in people really starting to understand what do I want out of a mushroom supplement? Do I want fruiting bodies or am I okay with mycelium? Do I want uh, a certain level of beta-glucans? Do I, you know, and, and that's awesome to see, uh, but they're kind of, both happening at the same time. So it's, uh, it's all about education. We are going to take a quick break and find out who is the sponsor of this show. Did you know that Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit and we keep the lights on and the mics hot out of the generosity of our members, many of whom are listeners like you, grants, and underwriters like this one. Stay with us. 
This episode is brought to you by Cheese State University. Cheese State University was created for dedicated cheese professionals seeking to deepen their knowledge, sharpen their skills, and build connections. It feels like a gift to be able to give this gift to people because I know that from my own experiences, I know how valuable, consolidated, Mm -hmm. incredible training resources are. They offer an in-depth education on all things cheese, as well as an active network for peer support and career development. You can pop over to the Quad, which is our social networking and engagement app. Um, And so that's a really fun and dynamic aspect of Cheese State University. Cheese State's three-part course is designed for seasoned pros and entry-level mongers alike and covers all the skills one needs to perform on the cheese counter. The structure of Cheese State University is all based on the Cheese State University Field Guide. Um, And that is a three-volume resource. It's all digital online. At the end of the course, students will be ready to ace the field guide assessment and earn their Cheese State Scholar Certificate. Another resource is a video series where we tackle sort of like these thornier questions that you can get on the cheese counter, like what is rennet and like why is this cheese so expensive and can pregnant people even eat cheese? At Cheese State, you're among experts, you're among scholars, you're among cheese lovers, and most importantly, you are a monger. Join them in the Ivy League of Cheese Education at CheeseStateUniversity.com. You are listening to Tech Bites, the weekly show on the Heritage Radio Network, where we look at the intersection of food and technology. And today we are looking at the mushroom trend, specifically functional mushrooms, adaptogen mushrooms. What's happening on grocery store shelves and social media and online, all the new products that are going to help you be alert, be focused, less stress, healthier, all these things. What does it mean? And do they work? We are talking with Charlotte Cruz, who is co-founder of Alice Mushrooms. If you're interested in taking a look at that, visit them online, alicemushrooms.com or on social media at alice.mushrooms. They have two chocolates, one for energy and one for sleep. They're very interesting and very beautiful packaging and it's chocolate. We're also talking with Ben Levine, who is co-founder of Rasa, which is a coffee alternative beverage using mushrooms. They are at wearerasa.com and on social media at wearerasa. Two similar but different products. Um, And we spent the first half of the show sort of explaining and trying to understand what the different ingredient and elements are from mushrooms and adaptogens and what the functionality is. My question, and I'm sure lots of people's questions, like any supplement, even with vitamins, or which, and there's a wide debate about the, the whether or not those are really good for you or not, or if your body uses them or not, how do I know the mushrooms are doing what they're supposed to be doing? How do I know I'm getting less stress, smarter, more focus, better brain barrier, all those things? I mean, it sounds amazing. Why wouldn't I want that? Of course I would want all those things, but how do I, how do I know? How do I know when I eat a piece of chocolate, it's working, or when I drink the tea, it's working? Alice, um, with Alice Mushroom, Charlotte had a very interesting anecdotal comment about that, um, which maybe you can share with everyone about sleep. Yeah, I mean, I think that, well, one, I would ask everyone to have patience, right? Because I, I touched on this a little bit earlier. But you do need a medicinal dose of functional mushrooms daily for about three weeks to allow time for the nutrients to compound in your body and then start making an effect. So if you are taking a product that is really exclusively functional mushrooms, you do need to give yourself that patience to wait about three weeks before you can start feeling those effects, right? If it's lion's mane, those effects can be uh, sharper memory recall, ability to learn new ideas a little bit quicker, cordyceps, energy, uh, maybe ability to run a little bit farther and longer, reishi, uh, better sleep cycles. But yeah, something that we have done at Alice, which I think has been really important to our success is knowing that, uh, I mean, my business partner and I are the prime examples. We're very attuned to instant gratification, right? Um, And I think a lot of people are. So we formulated our functional mushrooms and our chocolates alongside fast acting 
nootropics and herbal supplements that will give people that instant gratification that motivates them to keep coming back and get that long-term benefits of the mushrooms. It's kind of that now and later approach. Um, but what I think you're talking about is, you know, there are ways that you can start tracking how these things are working. And I think something that is really cool in the age of the Apple watch or the Fitbit is you're able to track your sleep. Um, so something that we have been seeing a lot is people taking our nightcap chocolate and reaching out to us, emailing us, letting us know like, Hey, my sleep score is usually 70%. I took this last night and I got a 95% sleep score. Um, and you know, of course on the first night, if they're taking it, that's coming from the herbal supplements, but as you keep doing it, you're going to start getting those higher sleep scores over the long term as the ratio is able to come in and start regulating your sleep cycles, which is really exciting for us to see just anecdotal feedback like that. Interesting. I actually don't sleep with a Fitbit or an Apple watch, um, which perhaps I should. Um, something that we don't really talk about very frequently on this show is that I'm a personal trainer and have been for the past few years. So we, you know, with, um, I do work out with a heart rate monitor and we track lots of different pieces of data, um, but I don't track my sleep. Um, I may be old fashioned in that I like to be without devices and electronics by me while I'm sleeping um, and on me while I'm sleeping. But it, th that's very interesting that people may not feel like knocked out to go to sleep, but that they're having a deeper, more restful sleep. Ben, how do you how do you think people should approach, um, you know, drinking, you know, rasa in the morning? And then in terms of how, how do you counsel people to their expectations of what's going to happen if you start drinking it every morning instead of coffee. Yeah, that's a that's something we think a lot about. And Charlotte, I think you answered this very, very beautifully. Um, maybe an anecdote first. I When I first got interested in adaptogenic plants and mushrooms, I started taking them and uh, every day. Because I had heard, okay, it's all about the long-term use. Um, you you get some benefit immediately, and you feel that. Uh, but after several weeks, you start to notice a more profound shift. Uh, and I was part of a goat co-op at the time, so every Thursday I'd have to go feed and milk and put goats back into their pens. And goats are notoriously stubborn creatures, and I would always get extremely frustrated. I would I, like I would just be kind of mad the whole time. Uh, and about three weeks into drinking adaptogens, I went and I noticed that I didn't go over that threshold of stress. Like I just, it felt, everything felt very manageable and the goats were exactly the same. Uh, but I noticed that I, my reaction was very different. Uh, I even noticed like how beautiful the clouds were that night. Like it was just, it was a profound shift in how I responded to the world. Uh, and I think these herbs teach us to be more in tune with our bodies and over time notice subtle shifts uh, and, and not so subtle shifts. Like I think, as Charlotte said, sleep is a huge one. Uh, we, have a, we have a sleep blend called Rasa Calm and the amount of people that have experienced a dramatic shift in their sleep, you know, they've been horrible sleepers their whole life and then all of a sudden they're sleeping well um, for the first time. Uh, and yeah, so I think it is a combination of patients and tuning into how you feel. Uh, and then also one method I like is taking a macro dose of an herb right away to see what it feels like. And then, and then going back to a more daily dose, uh, cordyceps, for example, uh, I, I will feel cordyceps if I take a high enough dose in one sitting, uh, and even a normal dose, if I go on a run, I'll notice my lungs are, they have more capacity. My endurance is a little better. Uh, and there's some immediate response. Like cordyceps is one of the few herbs along with gumweed and OSHA that will immediately make me take like a deep breath. Uh, and yeah, and I think there's like uh, immune function, for instance, how do you feel immune function? Um, I, I once took Rishi every morning for an entire year because I wanted to understand that, that mushroom more. Uh, and I didn't get sick that winter. Was it because of the mushrooms? I don't know, maybe, in, in, in maybe, a one, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, but it's hard, you know, like it's hard to, to, to feel immunity in, in that way. I think a quite two, two questions that I'd like to ask before we go. One is 
I do think, you know, and uh, my, my guess is, Charlotte, that you'll appreciate this. We often get this idea of, oh, I'm going to take care, I'm going to take care of myself. I'm going to finally get it together. I'm going to do all the things I'm supposed to do. Um, I see this very much when people first start, you know, working out or exercising. They're very excited and gung-ho and they do all the things and then they kind of burn out or they get injured and then they have to stop and then they go back to it. Do people decide that they want to sleep better and feel better and be more alert and all this and then they go grab all the supplements, like everything, like give me some mushrooms and some green tea and some matcha and some, you know, crystals and let me do this and let me do that and aromatherapy and all these things. Are there things that are counterproductive with mushrooms that, you know, you clash that you don't want to do if you're focused on mushrooms. I mean, sometimes I do think that, you know, taking the, um, taking the nightcap mushrooms, I did have nice, you know, having the chocolate, you know, I did get kind of sleep, sleepy and went to bed and had a good night's sleep. And I was like, Oh, I wonder if that's, I wonder if that's the chocolates or if that I just had like a, you know, hellaciously busy day or, you know, I wore earplugs or maybe it was the mushrooms or maybe I shouldn't have had them with something else. Maybe they'll work better if I don't have anything else with them or if I'm just focused on mushrooms and not doing something else. Are there things that inhibit the productivity of the mushrooms? Um, and any thoughts about sort of maybe streamlining an approach or letting one thing take its course or doing too yeah. much, being counterproductive? I think when it comes to taking care of yourself, obviously, you know, you obviously can do too much to the point where it becomes an obsession. But I don't, I think if you're shy of that, you're, you know, the more good you can do for yourself, the better. Um, and I think it's a holistic approach, right? Like, if you are taking our nightcap mushrooms, and this is something we encourage people, right, because they're, we're really programmed, I think, by the pharmaceutical industry, that it's like, oh, I'm taking this, so I'm going to be knocked out, or I'm going to immediately, my, all of my anxiety is going to melt away. And we kind of look at things as a panacea when that really just isn't a reality. Um, so I think I always encourage people with our nightcap chocolates, like, yes, this is a really powerful tool that can help you, but you also should stop looking at your phone an hour before bed, maybe have some herbal tea, um, you know, try and work on your stress levels and get exercise and do all of these things that contribute to a healthier life, if that's what you're after. And, you know, buying every product off the shelf isn't really the solution, right? It's finding a really high quality product or a few products that you can reasonably put into a routine and not overwhelm yourself with all these standards that you're not going to be able to hit. Because I think it's really easy to, you know, look at the world of wellness and think you need a hundred things when really you're committing yourself to a lot of habits that you can't keep up. Um, which is why I like really one of the main reasons that we put our formulations in chocolate, right? Making it really easy people for people to just substitute one routine. Personally, I always have chocolate every night after dinner. So just subbing something in for something you already do in an improved way. Um, but I think something that is important to touch on, which I feel like Ben was equally as passionate about is when someone is looking at all of these different supplements or what they're going to use to feel better, really paying attention to how that company is sourcing and how they're presenting their products to you and the quality that you're getting. Um, ben, I'm correct. You go, you only use fruiting body mushrooms yeah. Rasa as well. Yeah. So we are the same. We only use fruiting body mushrooms because that is where the majority or that's where the highest bioavailable nutrients are in the mushroom. And, you know, the mycelium versus fruiting body conversation is probably we're out of time for it. Um, but there's a lot of things that people when they're buying mushrooms and mushroom supplements really need to work, look out for in terms of what product is going to give them an actual experience versus maybe a placebo because they're not getting the highest quality mushrooms. So they're not getting all of the nutrients that they, that they think they're getting based on marketing. That's a really excellent point. And it applies not just to, I think, mushroom products, but I think it applies to just about everything. You know, we are very concerned 
um, right now at this time in the world about where our food comes from. And it's interesting to me that there are some pathways that people are more focused on than others. People are focused on animal health and is it organic and that type of thing. Um, people are less focused about the carbon footprint of getting, you know, something, you know, mindfully and ethically and wonderfully and organically raised. Um, if that happens in Australia and you bring it to New York City, people seem less concerned about the carbon footprint of that. Um, but like anything, um, knowing where it comes from and what's in it and how it's sourced is really important. Um, ben, in terms of, you know, marketing, I, I think that this dovetails a little bit with where organic was maybe 10 years ago or, you know, 15 years ago. What is organic? What is farm raised? What, is, you know, what do those labels actually mean in terms of, you know, how something was produced and is made? What are the ingredients? Are there any things, any, any, um, any things that people can look for or should look for on packaging or on um, a company's, you know, website in terms of like who we are and how we work? Um, you know, Charlotte mentioned fruiting body mushrooms, which is the state that the mushroom is in. Are there any um, like labels or proving bodies or, you know, certifications? I know vitamin, the vitamin industry has a third party certifications. Um, organics have third party certifications, things like that. Is, is the mushroom industry too new for that at this stage? Or are there things people can look for that will let them know um, it's a good quality? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. And I think those things are coming down the pipeline, how you're allowed to label mycelium, for instance, because it's not technically a mushroom. Uh, but the there is no established certification. I would, I'll add on a few things to what Charlotte was saying. Um, yeah, fruiting body mushrooms instead of mycelium. Um, dual extraction is very important for certain mushrooms. Uh, reishi, for example, needs both a hot water extraction and an alcohol extraction uh, because some of the compounds are not water soluble. Um, lion's mane uh, also is a dual extraction. So looking for, uh, is it just water? Is it just alcohol? Um, and I always appreciate when folks put the amount on their label. Uh, and I'm seeing more and more of that. Like we have this many milligrams of the strength of an extract. And then, and then folks who are educating themselves on the mushroom market or are already educated can make, uh, make a decision based on what they're looking for. They say, ah, this has, this has a equivalent dose of mushrooms or this has four times the amount of mushrooms than this other product. Because uh, a lot of times with something popular like adaptogens or mushrooms, people start fairy dusting. Uh, you know, like here's some adaptogenic popcorn. Here's some uh, mushroom, uh, all sorts of, I was just at Expo West earlier this month and the amount of mushroom products was overwhelming. Uh, but the ones that really stated here is what we're using and how much uh, are, I, I appreciate that a lot. Is it the new pumpkin spice? It's like pumpkin spice, like <laughs> yeah. mushroom, mushroom adaptogen powder, popcorn, tea, like soap, sheet mask, um, <laughs> yep. you know, uh, soy, frozen dessert thing, you know. Yep, and we got to be careful because the the more unethical companies fairy dust in ingredients, the more customers may think they don't work. If I am, mm, if I'm taking a mushroom supplement, point. yeah, yeah, like if, if I'm taking a mushroom supplement, I have no idea how much is in there, and there's, you know, basically not enough to do anything. I'm gonna think I got ripped off, uh, and then I'm gonna think all mushrooms are like that. Uh, and so it's a uh, yeah. I'm, I'm I'm happy that. Thank you for having us on. Thank you, Charlotte, for doing what you do with Alice. Um, education is is really important in this space. Well, that is, I think, a perfect close because that was exactly the intention that I had with doing these two episodes on mushrooms. Um, being aware of what it is and what something is, is one, it's just interesting to learn, I think, about all these things that exist naturally in the world that can do all these things for us. Um, just unto itself, just learning about, you know, the ways nature has made things Um sort of miraculously. And then 
consumer-wise, what am I doing? What am I seeing? Is this something that's good for me? Is this something that I want to investigate and pursue and try? And then evaluating what the best ones are. Um, It's nice to see all these different things coming to the front. And I really appreciate the um, commentary about, you know, mushrooms and some of these mushrooms that do have healthful benefits Um, just being incorporated into food and life and things like that. It's going to make me probably go and look at some cookbooks and, you know, research different types of um, maybe cooking from Asia and, you know, from China and India where, you know, there's a very strong holistic practice of using ingredients, not just to fuel the body in a purely caloric energetic kind of way, but, you know, fuel the body in all these different, um, more subtle ways, which is very interesting. I want to thank Charlotte Cruz of Alice Mushrooms. If you want to check them out, they are at alicemushrooms.com and on social media at alice.mushrooms. I want to thank Ben Levine for joining us from Rasa. You can find them at wearerasa.com and at wearerasa. Um, Everyone was nice enough to send me products a few weeks ago um, so I could try them and I did and I enjoyed them. They were quite good. Um, I think my my issue with the Alice mushrooms is sort of not eating them all like you would a chocolate and exhibiting um, a little bit of restraint to just maybe have one, um, possibly two. And Rasa, you know, it's interesting. Um, you know, I didn't think about putting them, putting some things into bone broth, but they do have a savory quality to them also, like an umami type of thing. So I might have to go back and revisit that because for me, I was so caught in the like tea coffee space and I put some type of milk whether it be coconut or almond or something like that into things so I was thinking them in a more of a sweet space but I'll have to go back and revisit the savory idea um so thank you both for coming this is episode 287 this is about functional mushrooms episode 286 um, was a company called meaty making plant-based meat cutlet like things out of the mycelium mushroom root, which is fascinating also. So if you really want to load up on like an all mushroom diet, there you go. Episode 286 and episode 287. If you loved it, come to heritageradionetwork.org. We have tens of thousands of podcasts in our archives about a variety of topics. If you think these kinds of conversations are important and it's important to shine a light on different ideas and businesses and people who are putting things into the world, click the beating heart on the website, make a donation, maybe what you spend on your coffee or tea or chocolate today. It'll help us keep the lights on and make more radio. I'm Jennifer Leutze, and this is Tech Bytes. This show is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.